0: Don't you love it when you get on the straight path? And the scripture tells us how to do that. And life is easier when we're on the straight path. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. I'm excited for us to begin a new sermon series this morning. And this is one that's been on my heart for a while. It's been on my mind for a long time. And when the Lord finally um, confirmed in my spirit that that, that this is the time, this is when I want you to do this, uh, this sermon series, I was... Uh, really grateful and excited I want you to go ahead and find the book of Jonah in your Bible now Jonah is a small book it's only four chapters long it is between Obadiah and Micah and I know for most of you that didn't help at all did it so uh, if you look there's no shame there's a table of contents in the front of your Bible if you didn't know that listen there's no shame go to the table of content look up the page number and just go to it okay um, Jonah is a story that almost everybody knows just a little bit about We know Jonah's name, we're familiar with the city of Nineveh We know of the whale or the fish in the story It's one that we learn as kids um, But we learn it as a kid just on the surface as children We, we hear the story of Jonah and, and we just really hear part of the story But there's so much for us to see and learn from the story of Jonah. And one of the most important things that you will see as a theme throughout this entire series is that Jonah isn't even the main character of the story. The book of Jonah isn't an account or story about Jonah. The book of Jonah really is the story of God. God is the main character in Jonah's story, not Jonah. And it's not just about God's wrath, it's not just about God's judgment, but Jonah is about God's relentless pursuit of people that he loves. And so I want us to just begin by diving right in. Look at Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to begin where all good stories begin, at the beginning. Verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and of, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. We know that Jonah was a prophet. And the job of the prophet was to be the spokesperson of God to the nation of Israel. And also to the nations surrounding Israel. And so God has given Jonah a commission. A direct word from him. And says, go to Nineveh and preach against it. And you say, oh that sounds, why, why does he say preach against it? And and God answers, "...because its wickedness has come up before me." Now, this story of Jonah is happening about 800 years before the New Testament, before Jesus. And Paul writes in Romans 6.23, "...for the wages of sin is what? Death." This is 800 years before Paul wrote that in the New Testament... And this is the same message that he is giving Jonah to preach to the Ninevites. The wages of sin is death. God is righteous, he is just, and he will not allow wickedness to go unjudged. And he says, go preach to them, tell them that destruction is coming because of their wickedness. And to avoid it, they're going to have to repent. So Nineveh, if, if, when you study history and you know a little bit about Nineveh, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian nation. It was the capital city of Assyria. And the Assyrians were vile, wicked people. They were known for their brutality against their enemies. Um, if they came into your city or your country and overthrew you, they would maim your family in front of you. They would dismember people. They would behead people right in front of their families. If if there was a, a man, they would force the women and children, the wife and the children of a man, to watch him be murdered in front of their eyes. They were terrorists. And they were enemies of Israel. They had lots of enemies, but Israel was one of the enemies of Assyria. And eventually, later on, God, they would, Assyria would bring the northern kingdom into captivity. But this is before that captivity. So God's called prophet Jonah to go and warn them of the judgment he's going to bring because of their wickedness. Now look at verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now most of us at this point, we're thinking, wow, the story I learned as a kid, like this is half the story. We're moving really fast here. Um, God says, Jonah, I've commissioned you to go to Nineveh and preach against them. Jonah says, No. And he doesn't just say no. Jonah's answer is a big fat, there is no way I am going to Nineveh. And you can understand part of the reason Jonah may not want to go to Nineveh. One, he's afraid. But there's a couple of other big reasons that he says no. And, and Jonah's no is not like some of our no's. Now we've, we're tempted and we will admit that we've said no to God before. Right? All of us have. And sometimes our no to God is God says, hey, I want you to go and do this. And we go, "Uh, nope, I'm just going to stay right here. And there's a no that says, no, I'm not moving, God. I'm just going to stay where I am. Jonah's no is you want me to go that way? I'm going to go this way. It is an emphatic, huge no. And I want you to see how big of a no it was. Look at the map for a second. Now, if Jonah started in his hometown, he would have been just a few miles north up the coast of Joppa, just a very short distance, not even enough for you to be able to pinpoint on the map that size. Nineveh was 550 miles away from Joppa. So to go in the direction of God's will, he would have had to travel 550 miles to do what God had called him to do. And that would have been a long journey. There's no airplane, there's no buses, there's no cars. This would have been a journey on foot. So it would have taken him several days. So rather than go 550 miles in the direction that God told him to go, he says, nope, I'm going to go 2,500 miles in the opposite direction of where you just told me to go, God, because there is no way I am going to Nineveh, ever. Now, why would God's prophet do that? You're you're like, hold on now, this guy is a prophet. He is God's chosen messenger. Why does he do that? There's a couple of reasons. Uh, One, yeah, he was probably afraid because these people were vicious terrorists, but... Another reason, even more than that, was Jonah hated them. He literally hated the Assyrians. He hated the Ninevites. They were enemies of Israel. And if I could just put it bluntly to make it apply in our culture, Jonah was a racist. He, was, he, was, he had a hard heart toward them. And the reason he didn't go and warn them of God's judgment is because he didn't want them to be warned of God's judgment. And you say, well, why wouldn't Jonah want the people to know that? Because Jonah knew God. And he knew that if he went to Nineveh and he told them that God would judge them and destroy them for their wickedness, that if they listened and if they turned their heart toward God, God would spare them. And Jonah said, I don't want to see him spared. We are your people. We are Israel. They don't deserve to have the same mercy that we have. They don't deserve to have the same grace that we have. We are your chosen people. If, if I go and tell them that and you save them, what is that going to do to our people? What is that going to do to Israel? How is that going to make us feel? You're, you're just going to give them the same thing that you give us? That would be humiliating to the Jews. I want to ask you a question. Who are your Ninevites? Who are the people that you don't really want to see God save? And here this morning, you're not going to say anybody because, I mean, that's wrong, isn't it? But this is almost 800 years before, again, Jesus would face the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, 800 years later, would say to Jesus, why are you preaching to tax collectors? Why are you hanging out with prostitutes? Why are you sitting down having dinner with sinners? That's not what Messiah is supposed to do. It's the same heart. The same heart that Jonah has is the same heart that the Pharisees would have later. And and I just want to say that for the American church... We may have some Ninevites that we maybe don't always want to admit. For the American church, maybe we look at Muslims as our Ninevites. They don't deserve God's mercy. Look how evil they are. Maybe it's Muslims. Maybe we feel that way about atheists who are so hard and opposing to what we believe. Maybe the American church feels that way about homosexuals. Who are the people that we look at and say, you know what, I don't really care if God saves them or not. Do you know when you're watching a movie or a television show? I'll, I'll confess to you, I'm, I'm a fan of, of the AMC show, The Walking Dead. And you go, you're like, yeah, I know, it's that weird zombie show. Um, but there are characters on this show and, and in movies and television shows that as I'm watching it, and you guys that have watched it, you'll know who I'm talking about. If I say the governor, you know who the governor is. There was a, there's a character in this show called the governor. And at one point, I was getting angry because somebody hadn't killed this guy already. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about. In movies and stuff, there's always an antagonist. There's a bad guy that you can't wait. You, you get so emotional you can't wait to see this person die. And I literally, when it came, no spoilers if anybody said this is a long time ago, but when, when this guy finally died and one of the good guys killed him, like I celebrated. <laughs> I was happy about it. But this is real life. This is, this is what Jonah has going on in his mind and his heart. And he thought... That if he didn't go, he could stop it from happening. But here's the first point to remember this morning. What we do or don't do will not stop God from accomplishing his purpose. You realize that. You don't have the power to stop the ball of God from rolling. If God's will and his purpose is going in one direction, you can try to block it, you can try to stop it, you can try to derail it all you want to. But it's going to get to where it's supposed to go. And Jonah was foolish. And he thought, if I can run away and get as far away from Nineveh as I can, and I'm the messenger, then they'll never hear the message, they'll never repent, and God will destroy them. And that's what I want. And so Jonah is going to find out very quickly that that is not the case. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. So he's on this boat with these pagan sailors leaving from Joppa and he's headed to Tarshish. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. It's, it's literally coming apart. And all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to their own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. If they could get the ship just a little higher in the water, maybe it would sink... Slower. They they were going under. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. What? Now is that just is, is that weird to you? This is this is a crazy story. And he is in the bottom of the boat sleeping. And it says a deep sleep, and it must have been a deep sleep. How do you sleep through something like that? Verse 6, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? This is what we're thinking. Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and guess what? And the lot fell on Jonah. Here's the second point. When we, as God's people, run from his instructions, life will get stormy. Don't think that you can just run away from God and his instructions for your life and there be no consequences. There will always be consequences. This is not a natural storm. Meteorologists who, who study the region, um, the, the, the weather in that region, says that there there is potential for hurricane-proportioned storms uh, during this time in this part of, of the sea oh, that could reach up to 90-mile-an-hour winds, and that's, that's hurricane-level stuff going on. But these are sailors. These are professional sailors who had seen storms. They had seen big storms. They had probably navigated through hurricane-force storms before, but this one was different. This was not a natural storm. This was a supernatural storm that was coming because of God. God was bringing it on them. The boat was beginning to break under the pressure of the waves as they crashed against it. And it was unlike anything they had seen before. So their conclusion was, this is not normal. This is not the kind of storm that we've ever seen before. This is huge. So this has to be supernatural. So these are these are pagans who worshipped all kinds of different gods. And so they begin to say, everybody start praying, whatever, who's your god? Okay, well pray to him and find out what's going on. You pray to your god. They're praying to all these different gods trying to figure out who, uh, who can save us. What is going on? And when none of that happens, the captain goes and finds Jonah. He's asleep in the bottom of the boat. It is, it is panic. Here's another point. The storms that come from our disobedience will affect all the people around us. I mean, let's be honest. These guys were were pagans. They weren't followers of God. They didn't believe in God. But they didn't know why this was happening. Jonah brought the storm with him. Jonah's disobedience brought the storm into their life. And now their lives were being threatened because of his disobedience. You know that the same thing is true for us? that idea of well what I do isn't going to hurt anybody that's a lie and we may think that what we're doing may be private or it's not a big deal and it's not going to affect anybody else but me Jonah probably thought that too and here he is in the middle of a storm and there is all of these people who are freaking out they're in danger he's putting their lives at risk And he's in the bottom of the boat sleeping. He is blissfully sleeping while the boat is being torn apart. You know that sometimes when we rebel against God's instructions, we can be so wrapped up in the fake comfort of our disobedience that we don't even know that things are falling apart around us. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but we can be so wrapped up in sin. We can be so wrapped up in disobedience and be so selfish as to what's going on with us that we're not even paying attention to the way our choices are affecting the people around us, how they're affecting our family, how they're affecting our church family, how they're affecting the community around us, people that don't even know us. It's happening. And Jonah is there, and and people are about to die, and he's asleep. Because all he's worried about, all he cares is that he's getting as far away from Nineveh as he can get. And he's happy about it. So he's able to sleep. So the captain wakes him up and says, hey, you pray. We are all about to die. Wake up, whoever your God is, pray to him, and maybe he'll notice and maybe he'll do something. Now, do you see the irony of what's happening here? Here's the prophet of God. In the boat, and the pagan sailor is waking up the prophet of God, telling him to pray. It's a pagan. He's not. He doesn't even believe in Jonah's God. But he's saying, "Hey, dude, you need to wake up and hit your knees because we are about to die here. We need some help." And they cast lots to find out who was responsible. And they fell on Jonah. God used the casting of lots. That was a a silly, pagan way to, superstitious way to try to figure out answers to things. Like a magic eight ball. But God used it. He used that to point them in the direction of Jonah. So look at verse 8. So they ask him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? You can imagine they are just drilling him. Just one question after another. Speak up. The lots fell on you. This is your fault. What, what is going on? Where are you from? What have you done? Because time is running out. You realize the urgency of what's going on. This is, this is critical Verse 9, he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah says, you know what, the God, I'm a Hebrew, and the God that I worship is the one who made the sea that's about to kill us. And so, verse 10, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. They get on the ship at the beginning of this thing. And they, uh, who are you? Well, I'm Jonah. Well, what, who are you? What do you do? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, why, are you, why are you going so far to Tarshish? That's a, that's a long way. And he he'd already told them. He would already said, God wants me, to, God's called me to go speak to these people. I'm not going there. Those people are crazy. And they're evil. And they deserve to die. I'm not, I'm not going to, to preach to them. So they knew already. You know, here's the thing. Is anybody wondering yet why is God even wasting his time with Jonah? I mean, what, is anybody else saying, why doesn't he just scrap Jonah? Why doesn't he just let Jonah go and find somebody else? to do what he's supposed to do because Jonah so far and I think you will see as we go through this book Jonah is like the worst prophet ever There is there like there's very little redeemable things about Jonah Like don't paint Jonah on your kids' nurseries Don't put the whale in because he's horrible Like he's bad like there's oh it's it's terrible And and you you look at Jonah and you say, God, you you have picked the wrong one for this one. Just let him go. Scrap him. But you know what that shows us? That God is in the business of using the most unqualified and weakest people in the world to accomplish his purpose. So if God is going to use somebody like Jonah with his heart and his stubbornness. Don't you ever sit and think that God won't use you. Look at verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they ask him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? They say, Your God made the sea, your God is the creator. The, the sea of the sea and, and, the, and the land. Tell us what we're supposed to do then. He is obviously angry with you. You have obviously offended him. W- what do we do to fix this? Verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. And it will be calm. I know that this is my fault. It is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Jonah says, hey, look, you guys are right. It's on me. It's my fault. I'm, because I'm on this boat is why you guys are being threatened and about to die. Why don't you just throw me overboard? Now, before we think that this is a redeemable quality for Jonah, let me just tell you it's not. We may read that and think, oh, Jonah, wow, what sacrifice? He knows that it's his fault and he's taking responsibility for it. And he's told them, look, just throw me overboard so that you can be saved. Right? That's not what Jonah wants. Think about it. God has given him a commission to go to Nineveh and preach to a city full of people who are pagans who are in danger of dying. Why would he be on a ship with a bunch of pagan sailors and all of a sudden grow a conscience and say, oh, will you throw me overboard so I can save you? I will rescue you and save all of you. Just sacrifice me and throw me overboard. That's not what he's thinking. I'll tell you what he's thinking. He's thinking, I just want to be dead. I hate this. I want to be dead And this is my way out of this whole situation. And it's not just because he's upset, but because, remember, he thought he was the essential piece for God to accomplish his mission. So two things happen. He says, I am so unwilling to go and preach to the Ninevites that I'm willing to die. And if I die, what's he going to do then? He can't send me to Nineveh if I'm dead. Jonah wants to die. Jonah is asking them to help him commit suicide. Just kill me now. One, because I won't have to deal with all this. And two, if I'm dead, God can't do what he wants to do. <laughs> oh, so he thinks. Verse 13. Now this is what's, this is again so much irony in this story. Verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back. To land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder before them, wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Wow. That prayer in verse 14, we haven't heard a prayer like that come out of Jonah yet. And here are these pagan sailors who all of a sudden are praying to Jonah's God. Here is Jonah with no compassion, no mercy, no desire to see the pagan Ninevites spared from their disobedience. But here are a bunch of pagan sailors on a boat who would, rather than just do what Jonah says and throw him overboard, they try everything they can first so that he doesn't have to die. They say, look, no, we don't want to kill you. Like, they have compassion. They have some humanity about them. And they say, "Um, no, we we don't want to do that. We don't want to throw you overboard. Let's try to get back to land. But as they tried to row, God just made the storm harder. He made the storm more violent because, again, it doesn't matter what we do. We're not going to escape, not going to escape the will of God. And so he, he, he bring, brings it on harder and harder. And so they finally realize it, that, that that's the only way we're going to have to do this. And so they pray to God. And if you, if you look in the original languages, when they say, when they pray in that prayer, please, Lord, and they say, Lord, you have done as you pleased, They used the word Jehovah. And the word Jehovah was what the Hebrews called God. It was one of the proper names that the Israelites used when they prayed and addressed God. And so, you see what's happening? Faith is coming about in the hearts of these pagan sailors where they are now praying to Jehovah as if he were their God. They are calling him by name. They are, being, they are praying to him like they're Hebrews. And they're putting their faith in him. Saying, please don't hold us accountable for this. For, because you have done as you pleased. Lord, they're, they're, they're relinquishing their self to his will. Do you see that? Jonah's not doing that. But but these pagan sailors who know nothing about him other than what has been revealed to them through Jonah, they're coming to faith in Yahweh. Verse 15, Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, And made vows to him. Look what just happened. God has just used the disobedience and the rebellion of Jonah to turn the hearts of a shipload of pagan Gentiles to believe in him. Think about this question. Would you rather be used of God through your obedience or through your rebellion? Because he can do both. He has a purpose that he will accomplish. Now you can be a part of that through your obedience. Or if God wills it, he can use your disobedience to accomplish his purpose as well. That is what he's doing with Jonah God will use, sometimes he will use the discipline that he brings into our lives to get the attention of people around us so that they can see the reality of who he is when we have become blind to it. And you know, Jonah never knew what happened on that ship after they tossed him over. He didn't know. There was a, a mini revival that broke out on that ship. A worship service broke out on that ship after they tossed him overboard. And that sea went away because they feared the Lord. They realized, wow, Jonah was right. This is that we prayed to all of our gods and nothing happened. But when we did what he said, it, he saved us. And it brought fear in their hearts. And that fear, the scriptures say that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That fear turned their heart toward the reality of who God was. That means that they committed to follow, to believe, and to trust in God who had just shown himself to be the one true God among all these other fake pagan gods. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Who is your Nineveh? What is your Nineveh? What is the thing that God has called you to do the people that he's called you to minister to that you've said no to? You've literally said to God, Lord, I'll, I'll do something else, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just not. Is it a role of service that he's called you to? Is it something in your life that you know he's called you to let go of, some sin in your life, and you've just refused Is it a person that he's called you to share the gospel with and you've looked him in the face and said, No, God, I I won't do that. Because if if God has decided to use you, you won't get away from it. He'll either use you in your obedience and that will draw you closer to him as his his child and his disciple or he will discipline you And use your disobedience to draw the hearts of others to realize who he is. As they see what he's doing in your life. Because the scripture says God disciplines the ones he loves. So what is your Nineveh this morning? What is it that God is calling you to that you've refused? Or maybe this morning it's a simple call. Maybe you're Nineveh. The thing that he's called you to do is simply to believe in him and trust him for the first time. As Lord and Savior, and you have refused. Your heart has been hard. This morning, you have the opportunity to say, yes. You have the opportunity to turn around. Before you get on that ship to go across the sea, you can stop right here and say, God, i I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop running. I've been running and running and running. And I'll stop. And I'll do what you want because I want to be found obedient to you, not disobedient. I want my committed life to be what you use, not my rebellious life.